And now our feature presentation, Imitating Art with Don and Chuck. <laughs> shall, shall we begin? We shall. Hey, welcome to Imitating Art. I'm Chuck. I'm Don. And that sounded like a little bit of a stuttered intro from me, but that's okay. Uh, here at Imitating Art, we like to review and dissect movies, see if they have any life lessons worth learning. Tonight we're going to be talking about Inception, little indie film, probably never heard of it. <laughs> yeah, who's that director again? I don't, I don't know any of his other films. Yeah, unknown guy named Christopher Nolan. Yeah, he must be new on the scene. <laughs> other than like The Dark Knight, I feel like it was the first really like huge Christopher Nolan movie. Like his Before you hit Batman, he started writing this movie before Batman, first of all. Uh, but he didn't have experience making really large-scale movies. He made, like, Memento and The Prestige and uh, Insomnia. You know, I knew he made Memento, but I forgot. I still I forget about it often because, like, I, that, that movie sets, up, sets aside for me from what I would think of as a Christopher Nolan movie at this point. Yeah, although it's still very much uh, like a storytelling experiment, which most of his movies oh, are. Oh, yeah, and I love it. But so he had started writing Inception in, like, I don't know, 2005, 2006, something like that. Maybe even earlier. But he was like, this movie needs to be huge, and I don't know how to make a movie like that. So that's when he started doing the Batman movies to get experience making just, like, big-budget, huge action movies. Mm -hmm. Which he's never looked back from, by the way. <laughs> you don't say. Like, you, you look at Christopher Nolan movies, and, like, there's pre-Batman, and then Batman Begins and After and yes. they are Nolan two begins. very distinct period yes. of, of his career. Um, <laughs> yeah, and I mean, uh, he he does it so well. Why wouldn't he? Yeah. Although, I mean, we disagree about what our favorite movie of his is. I always say this one. You always say Interstellar. I mean, I we both like, agree that we both agree that my favorite movie is Interstellar, and your favorite is Inception, right? <laughs> yeah. 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 That's what I just. But said. I know what you mean. We <laughs> we don't disagree of which is our favorites. We just disagree on the the one that we think is the best. Yeah. I'm that's, just that's I'm just playing. I'm just being semantically stupid right now <laughs> because I'm tired. <laughs> you. <laughs> but yeah, this is. I mean, I I know it's your favorite movie. And I know I've seen it multiple times, but it's been so long since I've seen it that it's. It, I, I forgot so much about it. Uh, yeah. To be clear, my favorite Christopher Nolan movie. It is one of my favorite movies, but it's not number one in my life. Just amongst uh, Nolan's oeuvre. Right. And I really feel like it's peak Christopher Nolan. Like it's everything, pretty much, because it's different from the Batman. Like the Batman movies don't have as much like storytelling experimentation. They're more, you know, it's not really his property, so he had to be a little more mainstream with it. Yeah, you got to color within the lines a little bit with as far as the characters go and the story. But but yeah, he definitely took a different stab at Batman than than had been done before, really. For sure. So, um, but I feel like Inception is the first one where it's that combination of his signature kind of in what weird way can I tell a story mixed with the like sort of gritty action that he started doing in the Batman movies. Definitely. And if I could take a stab at uh, explaining what Inception is, I'll let you fill in any of the blanks sure. that my uh, subconscious has, has left out. But um, so, uh, so Inception is a movie about a guy, Tom, 
right? Tom Cobb Dom. is his name, right? Dom. What is it? Dom. Oh, it's Dom. It's a D. Yeah. Uh, well, there you go. Right off the bat, Christopher Nolan movies, not being able to hear what people say, even if I'm listening to it with headphones on. <laughs> anyway, so Cobb, would they mostly call him Cobb anyway. Yeah. But uh, Leonardo DiCaprio plays Cobb, who is kind of working with this futuristic technology that allows them to enter people's subconscious through their dreams. And if it's a military technology that was originally designed to extract uh, information from people's memories or from people's minds, and they decide they think they could use it to plant an idea in someone's head and completely change and grow an idea inside their mind. But to do this, they have to use a multi-layered approach where they're having, they go inside someone's dream and then they go inside of a dream inside of a dream to plant a seed of an idea at the root of their mind. And while doing this, uh, Cobb is also fighting his own demons, uh, where, uh, his, his wife had died previously due to, you know, so we'll get, we'll get into some of that stuff, but his wife had died during, uh, coming out of one of these, um, dream processes because you, she kind of lost, uh, the grip on reality. And he is bringing that past trauma into the, uh, the dream world with him. So he's fighting against, that part of his sub subconscious while trying to incept what they call it inception in the movie is <laughs> putting the idea in someone's head and he's they're, they're trying to put an idea in someone's head and he's trying to keep his own demons away uh which are manifested through actual people in the dreams and they're you know it comes out to be a really fun action movie kind of heist movie in a way but instead of stealing something they're trying to put something in which is kind of a fun twist on the heist kind of a uh, uh, story um and in the end we don't we don't really know what happens and i i really like i really like that about this this movie and that's like one of the main things i remember about it it's funny i feel like you just described it in in the way that a lot of people describe christopher nolan movies or any like overly complicated movies where you know the person on the receiving end uh, understandably says has, has what <laughs> <laughs> yes um basically they're trying to put an idea in someone's head and they're doing that by going yeah. into their dreams yeah uh <laughs> and for uh further f clarification dom cobb and his team are like international criminals who are doing yeah. this on the underground who are being hired to steal like corporate information from people's enemies and whatnot and right corporate espionage on a new level yeah, and uh, the most recent uh, victim of one of their jobs, uh, Mr. Saito, it turns out that that job was actually a setup where Saito was just testing them to see how good they were because he wanted to give one of his corporate enemies the idea to break apart their corporations so that way Mr. Saito would have less uh, competition. Uh, they never right. talk about what, what the hell these companies are, so we don't know... They well, they said they're en they're energy companies, but that's all they say. Yeah, like like you don't actually know the corporate aspects of any of this. You just know that, like you said, yeah, it's a heist I mean, movie. You just and know it doesn't matter. This is the guy they're trying to screw over. This is the idea they're trying to plant <laughs> in his head, and this is how they're going to do it. Like those are the yes. important parts. Um, and if, so, it's yeah. very much like uh, Ocean's Eleven in like the where you have to find the people who are specialized at doing this one thing and oh, yeah. gather them together. It, it it's it's uh, a heist movie. Uh, 
yeah. entirely. Like that's that's what the structure is, and that's that's why I feel like this is a better movie than Interstellar. <laughs> um, no, it's it's just because uh, I feel like the heist movie. Even if you've never like studied a heist movie, you've probably seen a couple of them in your life. So you sure. got the same basic structure that even with all this crazy technical jargon that doesn't actually exist and all these like complicated ideas, you still at pretty much most points understand what's happening just because of the familiar structure of the movie. So the fact that oh, it, yeah. it again has this simple backbone, which he's able to lay all of these comp complex and complicated ideas onto, I feel like that's really one of the biggest strengths of, of the movie. Yeah, and it, and it's a great movie, and I think it just didn't it didn't hit me in the same way at the same time like the Interstellar did. Um, but oh, going yeah. back to go, going back to watching it now it makes me think that I should watch it more often because it's <laughs> it's a, just a great movie and it's just a fun movie. Um, I always feel I I, I do want to do Interstellar sometime, so I don't want to get into it too much. But I do yeah think that Interstellar has more heart to it. I guess I don't know. Um, and and I I like that about it. Like I like I like the story with Matthew McConaughey and his daughter. And I just I I like that whole play they do with that. But I don't you know I don't really feel like they need to go against each other. I just happen to like that one a little bit more. <laughs> they don't. I, I was just being uh, intentionally shitty. I <laughs> know. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I have much like the movie. My notes are all over the place on this. Uh, yeah. <laughs> for this actually, one. I mean I. For as many times as I've seen this movie, I have very few notes and for as much as I like it, just because I feel like you can make a note about absolutely everything in this movie sure. in one way or another, whether it's like, this works, this doesn't work, this person's great, this person's okay. Like One thing uh, I did write was uh, moving out to be meta a little bit, Christopher Nolan really knows how to build worlds. Mm-hmm. And I like, like he is, I feel like he sees, he probably sees himself as like the dream builder in a certain way where he's like putting the pieces together and letting everybody else fill in the gaps. Sure. Yeah. He's like uh Willy Wonka. <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> and we just get to uh, fall into a vat of chocolate once in a while. Yeah. But also since it's his dream, it's probably completely populated with uh, his own subconscious. Oh, uh, well, sure. Without, without his even realizing it. <laughs> There's um, a little bit of bias in here. Oh, of course. Um, I do. I made a note of this because I wanted to apologize in advance if I inadvertently dead name Elliot Page. Uh, oh, yeah. Because he's in this. Good call. And I've, this movie has been a large part of my life for about, came out in 2010, so for about 11 years now. And uh, I've talked about it so many times that old habits might just fall out of my mouth. So Sure, Apologies and I, I, I figure we just uh, call the character Ariadne anyway. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yes, absolutely, I had the same thought. And um, and I was wondering if in, like, wherever this is streaming, do they, are, are, are they are they retconning the names? Or I mean, not retconning, you know, what, you know are, are they yeah, retroactively yeah, yeah. replacing the names? I didn't look when I played this, but there was, I saw posted online... Like, within a week or two of Elliot Page's announcement of transitioning, I think it was Netflix had Juno or something up, and mm-hmm. w- one of his movies, and 
the name had changed to Elliot Page. Okay, well that's good. So, I mean, good good for Netflix considering how much Netflix does like uh, cater to and play into like the LGBT crowd for sure. Like they have a category for that specifically. So I yeah. would hope that they would be forward looking in that regard. So that's good. Yeah, and like Queer Eye is one of their biggest shows of the past few years too. So. Oh right! I forgot that was on Netflix because I don't watch it. So, yeah, but yeah, that's a good call. <laughs> taken late, definitely taken a lot of big steps to uh, be inclusive uh, in a lot of ways to a lot of communities, including the uh, LGBTQ plus community. Good to hear. Um, so, as far as this movie is concerned, I don't really know where to begin. But um, yeah, it's there's just so much because it moves around a lot. But it it does have a linear structure, but it does move around. Yeah, like any other Christopher Nolan movie, we can start it wherever the fuck we want. I did see a lot of things that reminded me of Tenet. Like, that made me go, oh, that's like, I bet that idea was pulled for Tenet. Or, like, I wonder if, like, he was, like, trying to play with that idea a little bit more in Tenet. Sure. And well, that's pretty cool. So, for sure, the, the first two things that jump out at me as being... In both this movie and Tenet, uh, the the fighting style during the um, like the fighting during the zero gravity fight scene in this movie, which is still one of my favorite fight scenes of all time, I still get very excited when it's about to happen. Um, like the fighting in that scene, a lot of the fighting in Tenet because it's being played over two timelines at the same time. Mm-hmm. One side always looks a little off. Because yep. they're going in reverse, and it kind of had that same look as the zero gravity fight scene to me in some ways. Yeah, the the zero the zero G thing was pretty cool. I like how they played with that, and uh, JGL did a great job uh, oh, playing yeah. in that scene. And that goes even more saying. even more so, like he as like it, it's it's awesome that he's like an action guy now. But but like he did so so good at like running along that hallway as it was turning and stuff too. And like, it just, it was seamless and it looked amazing. We call that Jamiroquaiing. (laughs) Oh, oh, is it dream? What what was that? What was the video called? Virtual insanity. Virtual insanity. Yes. Uh, (laughs) Yes. Good callback. A good reference. And uh, the one question I had about that scene since we are, since we're talking about it already, why were the people two levels down in the dream not experiencing the weightlessness that the people one level up were experiencing? If it worked one way, why didn't it work the other way? Uh, I guess it's because it wasn't... I mean, it, it's a Christopher Nolan movie, so you have to like pick and choose your what, what you're You believing. have to suspend but also, one level of dreaming in midair, <laughs> and, as well as your disbelief. I guess it's because that's not... It's just that dream's reaction to the level above it. It's not like an actual physical thing in the dream, maybe. I mean, it. it I think it appears to be, but I think it's not. Gotcha. I don't, I, well, because I, 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 the only reason that I thought maybe it, it didn't make sense to me it was, was because the where they were free falling in the van was the first dream. Right. And yeah. then the dream within the dream, they're weightless. So I figure if one dream affected the dream below it, then I don't know why the one below it wouldn't affect the next one as well. Especially if they can hear the music from one to the next as well. Like the physics of it, just I, that was just a question yeah, I had. But, not, but not, fair, it, it didn't. It didn't affect the story for me. They, they can only barely hear it in the in the mountain dream, right? Um, but yeah, I, I would just guess that it's because 
it's technically not physically happening in that second dream. Mm-hmm. Or maybe that's just how it works. Maybe it only really affects one level down to that. That's the beauty degree. of creating the technology uh, on in story yourself is that you can make the rules as you go for to make the yeah. story work. <laughs> They're all bullshit rules. So, so. Oh, I know, I know. It's great and, and it's fine. I, it was just something that I thought of this time and thought I would mention it. If I had another guess, it would be because in the first level of the dream, they're actually falling back. Whereas in the second level, Eames is, because it's Eames' dream, that third level, mm-hmm. he's just kind of floating there. Like, he's not physically doing anything. Okay. Yeah, maybe. Like, like I, I, I buy that one more, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, let's go with that. <laughs> but uh... Like, for all intents and purposes, he's still just lying still. Right. For most of that's it. That's fair. Let's, let's let's stick with that one then. Yeah. Uh I I I do I I did really like that the they they play with the idea of ideas by talking about like where they're rooted and how they form and like what the any of these like base ideas that we have that are big ideas are formed from so many different places between yeah. the relationship that he has with his father his desire to be whatever for multiple reasons that have nothing to do with his dad. And, you know, like grudges he has, biases he has and everything. And I like that they're like, well, you can't just, you know, you can't just drop it in. You have to come at it from the root and pull it from like the deep recesses of the mind. So I feel like that was a a good way of analyzing like how ideas are formed. Yeah, because as they explain, like, you know, you can tell where, for the most part, where your idea is coming from. Like if it's a natural thing from you or if it's just some random thing that you're like oh where did i hear that that's a it's a weird thing why was i thinking that like how many times have you mm-hmm. thought why did i just think that that doesn't make any sense yeah. so so you you understand that that's not like a core part of who you are like a genuine thought of your own yeah and we've had those we've we've had this discussion about other about other things on this podcast before as well where we we are like you, we have to keep ourselves in check because sometimes we have ideas where we're like i know i don't really believe that but that idea has come from somewhere deep in my mind, and I don't know why it has come from there. So I have to like you have to be kind of mindful of your own like uh, latent ideas, I guess. Yeah, but then there are those thoughts you have where there's something about you that's connected to it, and so you know, like this is something I really want. This is something mm-hmm. that's true to me, and so to give someone an idea that they actually think is their own, that like that's why inception is so hard, and everyone thinks it's impossible because. How do you give someone an idea and then have them wake up from a dream and not just think, oh, that was a weird dream? Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> and the opposite of of Inception, which which this process started out as, for, as a, a, met- a method of extraction, of course, that was a military project. Like, of yeah. course, that was like a military espionage project. Yeah. Well, I, I did want to correct you. Uh, as Arthur states... Yeah, it wasn't actually, it didn't start as an extraction thing. It was uh, mil- military training, like to, to train soldiers to like kill and maim, like so they could like actually kill each other and practice that and not actually hurt anyone. He oh, does have oh, so of, it was like, so it started off as like a kind of like a, uh, just a like virtual a training program. program. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it was. I think it's it's just one or two sentences he says that dream sharing started off as gotcha. a government to so that soldiers could kill each other. That makes sense too, but I mean it it, it feels very much like something that would come out of the military world. Of course, 
uh, and the criminal world once they get a hold of the technology. Oh, of course. Um, <laughs> have you have you ever done like any like lucid dreaming or had any experiences with stuff like that? Like, you ever uh, wake up in, in in you ever wake up inside of a dream? Yeah. So, I've only had one or two lucid dreams. Um, <clears throat> I've had dreams where I've had lots of powers before where I wasn't necessarily lucid, like especially back in like 2005 when I would fall asleep watching Heroes all the time. <laughs> I, I, I had multiple dreams where I was essentially Peter Petrelli. Uh, of course. Now, who you can now see as Jack Pearson on This Is Us. but Oh, you mean the extremely handsome ripped guy? <laughs> yeah. But Peter Petrelli in Heroes, Milo Vinamulia, uh, who, if you've never seen Heroes, he just absorbed everyone's powers around him and had all these powers. So I had dreams where I'd like be flying, but also could go invisible and could also like fight people with super strength all in one dream. And that was great. But I have had a couple lucid dreams where I'm like, oh, hey, I'm dreaming, you know, uh, let me experiment with this. And then I start getting so excited about it that once I start shooting lightning out of my fingers and flying, I, I wake up because my adrenaline uh, has started pumping. You shot your lightning a little too, too early. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've, I've had, I've had dreams where I've, been able to control my fl flying before. That's tougher than running in a dream. I I've found. Oh, really? I don't know if you have. I yeah. run in real life. I try not to run in dreams. Um, but I, <laughs> but I, I, I've only really. I don't remember many. I don't remember too many dreams. So, the ones that I do are few and far between. Where I have actually been able to have any kind of control. But I remember it's like multiple nights in a row. I had dreams where I could fly, and then like a couple nights into it. I was able to like control my flight and know that I was in a dream, which is a weird experience for me. Um, I've never really leaned into like trying to make myself lucid dream or like do things that will help me dream or remember my dreams. Like for a while I was writing my dreams down when I woke up, mm -hmm. that but helps. I kind of lost, I lost interest in it and I was like, yeah. eh. Uh, I, for a while I was writing down all my dreams and after a while, I was like, you know, what? I remember my dreams so well, I don't really need to write them down. And then I stopped writing them down, and then I stopped remembering my dreams really <laughs> yeah. as well. Um, yep. But also, one of the, if anyone out there is interested in lucid dreaming, I mean, you can look up all kinds of stuff online to, to help you start it. But uh, one of the keys is, like, consistency. Like, always have, being in the same position with, like, if you have anything playing, the same thing playing like basically all the same cues that let you know that let your brain know you're about to fall asleep. Mm -hmm. uh, so like, that's a big help. So I would imagine that you uh, having basically the same dream two or three nights in a row kind of let your brain know like, Oh, Hey, this is just that dream again. Yeah. And, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. It's uh, something that I am interested in, but I've never like pursued. There are some things you can do that are basically like, almost like thought experiments, like, uh, just picture yourself, like walking through like the same house, uh, every time with like the same objects. And if I ever did, not that I've done this, like as you're falling asleep, just, as, as you're falling asleep. Yeah. Um, gotcha. al almost like a little meditation thing. Okay. If I, if I ever try that, I always, for some reason, picture myself walking into a dark room and watch my hand flick on the light because I'm pretty sure flicking on light is something that's hard to do in in a dream. So I'm trying to train my brain to think about it in case it ever works. 
Cool. Well, we'll we'll update everyone if that if that any if any of that comes to pass. Yeah. Um, and but... I have I have had a dream within a dream before too. I have been dreaming, woke up, and then that ended up being a dream, and I woke up from that as well. I had one dream Once. where I was in the house I lived at in in Millville, and I had dreamed that there was a party downstairs, and a bunch of people were there, and everybody would decided they wanted to sleep on the floor, or the couch or whatever. People were strewn about the house. And I remember waking up and being like a little bit annoyed that I'd have to like deal with all these people. And then like I quietly walked down the stairs, trying not to wake anybody up. And then I slowly looked around and realized there was nobody there. And then it kind of clicked that I was, (laughs) that that was a dream. But that was the only time I've really ever had that experience. However, I have had multiple girlfriends get mad at me because I was mean to them in a dream. So um, I've been on the other side of it. That's always fun. (laughs) <laughs> fun this is why people wanted to listen to uh us talk about inception yeah but i do want to bring it back uh just something you mentioned earlier about how good uh, joseph gordon levitt is in this movie um i almost feel like partially because of how well he plays what is essentially a one or two dimensional character in, yeah. in Arthur, like not many of the characters have much going on emotionally. They it's they really are just criminals doing a job. Yep. But Arthur, because Don has so much going wrong in his attempts at, at you know controlling his psyche and and just such a huge like backstory that influences the rest of the movie, and he's kind of unstable because of it. So Arthur being like the the reasonable one uh just to balance out dom and who knows all of the problem basically all of the problems that dom has and is just like the again the balance to dom and it's just like all right i guess we'll just handle this like let's let's just finish the job like he's very matter of fact about everything even like later in the movie he says oh well now you know how much time Cobb spends doing the things he tells you not to do and like <laughs> right that was a good they, line. They've never gotten in a fight about it. He's never mentioned it before. He just knows yeah. that this is a part of working with Dom and accepts it and is the person who doesn't do that. Yeah. And they get, and he's, he knows, he knows where he fits in and he knows he has to like call him out once in a while, but they get into little tiffs, but they never really get into like a big fight about anything. Yeah. Um, and, and Arthur also, I mean, Joseph Gordon-Levitt just brings so much charm to Arthur that even course. though even though he's kind of one-dimensional as a character, you just... You still end up liking him. I really like Arthur. He's yeah. my favorite character in the, in the whole movie. And speaking of the fun scenes that he gets to do, the the weightless scene and the running along the walls as the, the room turns, like, I, I love that this is, like, kind of Christopher Nolan's, like, that becomes kind of his thing, is, like, these really fun action scenes. But in this one especially, it's acceptable to watch these crazy things happen and watch like the bridge, uh, the bridge appear and like the, the town fold in on itself and all those like, and the weightlessness because they're within the dream state. So you can have any crazy action scene happen and you're, you're not thinking that would never happen because it's a dream train plowing through traffic in New York city. Yeah. Although weirdly enough, I just watched a, a, someone's travel video in Thailand where there's a train that comes right through like the middle of the market and as it comes through, like all the vendors pull up their 
umbrellas and pull their things in a little bit, the train comes through. And then as soon as it passes out, all the umbrellas are back again. <laughs> but yes, generally that wouldn't happen in the middle of traffic. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, like um, I, I was going to say this part of the reason why I think it's like peak Nolan is because it's the one movie where I feel like he gets that perfect mix of idea and action because because that's all he does anyway right he he has a certain way he wants to do action scenes and then kind of or it seems that he starts with the kind of action he wants to show and then builds a sort of sci-fi idea around around it um or thinks of something sci-fi-ish and i'm sure his first thought is what would this look like in an action sequence um right but I feel like in this movie, it's just like that perfect melding of what would an action sequence be like in a dream. And then he just comes up with like every sort of iteration of what that could be. And yeah, because I mean, there's really no limit. Yeah. And and he just does so many of them and it's just so fun. Yeah. And like I for some reason, I thought the the paradox thing came up more often in this movie like when they were on like the mc escher stairs and like he dropped the one guy uh joseph gordon levitt dropped the one guy off of the staircase in the in the building that one time but i really thought like for some reason i thought the paradox had more to do with the central themes to this movie it's one of the things that always like that i always remembered about the the movie Hmm. but i like it the the paradox (laughs) is not really like it more like the mazes have more to do with like the central plot of the movie which is why she's like the character is named ariadne because that's who created the um what do you call it another word for maze the labyrinth labyrinth with the minotaur yeah yeah i forgot about that i that, that, that didn't even click for me that's funny that's great <laughs> yeah harkens back to greek mythology yeah i like i like the scene where ariadne kind of just realized that wait this like this normal maze is not like this like bs back of a flight magazine is not going to cut it i need to like actually challenge something <laughs> and he was like yeah. that's more like it good job yeah um, that, that so was, i mean that's a, a little montage that lasts like 15 seconds but just seeing her draw maze after maze and then finally being like what if i make this circle one and then just it looks different yep. and it confuses him for a second he's like all right here we go which is what like the the labyrinth is drawn as as like a circular circular maze it's kind of like one of those mazes that you walk in uh, if if you're in like a uh, like a garden of some kind they'll have the the little labyrinth maze that you walk through and just like kind of get lost in your thoughts as you walk through it. Mm-hmm. Should we talk about totems? Uh we can. Well, I know they mentioned that you should never uh never recreate a place from memory which uh she learned very quickly uh when when she went under with with him the first time. And yeah. started like making the town fold in on itself because then all of the projections will start looking for the source of the dream and start attacking. Yeah. So she learns um, that the hard way. Yeah, and she gets stabbed in the stomach. And um, is also where she meets <laughs> May- Mall. <laughs> Molly. Is it Molly? Is it Mall for Molly? No, it's Mall like M A L, as in like bad. Like oh Mal, okay, bad. Yeah. Yeah, that's why I, I, uh, Dom says Mal, but I'm pretty sure Arthur at one point pronounces it Mal or with oh, okay. a slightly so like, different like, like Mallory, but Mal isn't bad. Mal. Yeah, yeah okay. pro- pro- probably something like that. <laughs> um, ah, see, Mrs. Cobb. Like Arthur is just there to like help the audience learn a little more about Dom, the things that Dom isn't going to say out loud. 
Yeah, and I'm glad he is because, you know, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. He does get some of the worst lines in the movie, though. Like, my least favorite line in the movie is towards the end was like, so you understood these risks and you still had us come in here or whatever he says. It's just such a cheesy, like, action movie line that there's no good way to deliver it. That's that's true. You just gotta make make the best of what you can with it. But yeah, you're you're right. I I had that I had that thought as well that it was a little cheesy over the top. Yeah. Um, so yeah, let, we could talk about totems for a second because how do you know you're not in a dream, or if you are in a dream, how do you know it's your dream and not someone else's dream? <laughs> like, well, I mean, to to be fair, we don't know that we could all be in someone else's dream right now. Who knows? But that's uh, true. unless I don't have a totem created a, a special little thing that only you know about unless uh, you created that within someone else's dream the first time or unless it was someone else's that you stole that too <laughs> <laughs> but yeah that's the, I, I i mean the totem was it was a great it's a great device in the movie yeah um and i like that we get to end up we never actually get to see ariadne in action except for when she makes it right Correct. The, the bishop. And, yeah. And, but the, the spinning top, actually we don't get to see anyone's, but, but the spinning thing, we get to see, uh, Joseph yeah. Gordon-Levitt's die, but we don't get to see it actually be used. Yeah. And, uh, Eames, um, is his, uh, poker chip. That's like one of the first things you see him with is like playing with a poker chip. Oh, really? Okay. Uh, I didn't notice that. Because that's his totem. Yeah. But okay. you're right. You never. The only one you ever see. I'm pretty sure. The only one you see in use is Dom spinning his top to make sure he's not in a dream. Yeah, and I. I mean, to just go right to the ending. It's. I, I really dislike that. The last scene you see is just that top spinning. And you just don't know if it's going to fall over or not. Like you have to yeah. fill in the blanks there for yourself. Uh, you have to wobbles. decide. It wobbles a bit and then it goes back. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's a great device to see. And like, he's, he very much like holds, holds that close and plays with it on, you know, j- just to, he, you, you can tell he has some doubts in his mind if he's in reality once in a while. Cause he's spinning that top once in a while. Oh yeah. Just to see. And he's like, okay. And then people will interrupt him and be like, are you, are you okay? Okay. All right. And he seems so relieved when he sees it fall over to know he's actually in reality. Mm-hmm. I mean, it all goes back to his story with Maul, right? Uh, mm-hmm. He has a way of making sure he's not in a dream, but unfortunately for Maul, once they came out of limbo... Okay, so let's just talk about what happened to him and Maul. Yeah. Uh, because it's going to be hard to ex- talk about it without explaining it. Um, before Dom got into doing all of this extraction, like crime with uh, going into people's dreams... He and his wife, Ma, who had two kids together, nice little family, just kind of had this technology and were experimenting with it and and having fun with it. Uh, And they managed to get so deep into the dream worlds that they entered limbo, which is less of a dream and more just a a place of nothingness where you can just create whatever you want. Um, And uh, they spent about... 50 dream years there which probably wasn't very long because dream uh time works differently and maul got kind of addicted to being there and she just kind of decided for herself this is 
my new reality and locked her her totem, which is Dom's top, in like where her subconscious created a little safe for her her safe memories and thoughts. Locked it in there so she would completely forget that there is a world beyond right lim- limbo. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, Dom, they grew all there together. Yeah, they grew all there together. But Dom, realizing they were in a dream and had to wake up at some point, and realizing that Maul was not going to do this, breaks into her little safe, spins the top so that way it just spins forever in her subconscious. Because when it's spinning forever, you know that it's a dream. Just so that way, her subconscious gets the idea that she's dreaming and that she'll leave Limbo with him. Which they do, but it has the unfortunate side effect that now locked away in her subconscious is this idea that she's still dreaming. And in order to wake up from her dream, she eventually decides to try to have a a dual suicide with Dom. But he knows that it's the real world. She right. manages to successfully uh, kill herself and make it look like it was Dom's fault because she wanted to coerce him into doing it with her. Yeah, and that was that was pretty crazy. Her like shady way of going <laughs> to the lawyer and saying, "Yeah, I let our lawyer know that you threatened me. So mm-hmm. if I die and you're still alive, then they will, you know, they'll blame you or they'll kill you anyway." And had herself declared sane by three different like psychiatrists. Oh, yeah. That's wild. Yeah. So, so that they way went he, over the top. So that way he couldn't prove that she was uh in you know, had some sort of mental issue. Um but yeah, so and that's why he's not allowed back in America. That's why he's a criminal now, because he's wanted for the murder of his wife. But so what was I gonna talk about that I needed to explain what happened to Maul? <laughs> why he was uh getting attacked by stuff in his in the subconscious is that what you're gonna get at or no no i'm sure sure. we'll We'll, we'll, we'll circle back to it we'll get back to it well while we're while we're here what's your what do you what do you think what do you think happens at the end do you think this top falls over do you think it keeps spinning so i can say what i think but also Leonardo DiCaprio has his sort of take. Not not an official, did the top keep spinning? Have you ever heard him talk about the end of the movie? I have not. So, I, I mean, sometimes I watch it and I'm like, I kind of go back and forth. Uh, yeah. Maybe, maybe it keeps spinning and this all was a dream. And then it's kind of like the sad ending. And then sometimes I watch it and it's the happy ending where the top eventually falls down. Um, Leonardo DiCaprio during an interview said, you know, look at Dom in that scene. He's not even looking at the top. It doesn't matter to him anymore. He he just wants to be happy and with his family and with his kids. Yeah. Um, so it almost like it doesn't matter if the top falls down. This is just the life he's choosing for the rest of his life. Yeah. Um, well, it's funny. We, we, jump, jumping the gun there a little bit. I, that is one of the lessons I had written down was, does this even, does it even matter if this is real? <laughs> like, does if you're, if you're happy, does it matter that it's real or not? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think you could argue either way for that as well, but yeah, yeah it depends. It depends on which philosopher choice. you, uh, you subscribe yeah. to. Yeah. I don't know where you're going to go with the other thing, but I, I, I also don't know what, the hell what I thought. I, I like lean toward it being a dream just because like, I don't really know how that would have worked as far as like him coming out of it 
in the plane and then it being a dream. But is it so many things happen in the movie like that something could have happened without us knowing about it and it could just be a dream still, you know? And but but I I do agree that it really doesn't matter. But I do like that the ending of this movie is left up to the idea, you know, left up to you to yeah. suss out and you get to decide every time you watch it. Well, the thing is, uh, Christopher Nolan, like, doesn't give us any rules for how they can or can't get out of limbo. So, true. I mean, and they're both be, coming it, out of it could be impossible. It could be completely possible. Yeah. All, all, all we know is they have to figure out some sort of death or kick for each other in limbo. Well, they can't. Well, they, but you can die in limbo and come out of it because that's how Maul and Dom get out of limbo. But I'm pretty sure oh, they say if you oh, die in limbo, you'll be right. stuck there. You'll be like stuck in a dream forever. So that's again, right. They kind of there is no <laughs> set rule for how to get out of limbo, and it could be totally possible. We don't know. I noticed that we're very um, drawn to movies where people are outside of reality and like they're able to like come and go between realities like between this one and the matrix and uh or the truman show sorry truman show like he's not in reality like there's there's this like playing with playing with mr nobody sure that's what i we 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 tend we're drawn to a lot of movies and characters that are either looking for reality or looking for a way out of reality (laughs) it's it's uh it's definitely I, i wouldn't have thought of that as a genre but it is one of the ones that I find being one of my favorites. Well, I mean, what is real is one of the bigger Eternal philosophical sunshine. questions. <laughs> true. That's true. Yeah. And I like it. I like it. I like the existential playing with the, with the idea through, through cinema. Yeah. Um, earlier I mentioned that there were two big uh, similarities between this and Tenet. Uh, the first one being the zero gravity fight scene. But uh, I never mentioned the second one, which is they both have a really hard midpoint that just completely divides the movie in into two. In the, in Tenet, it's when they reach really the furthest into the timeline they go before they reverse time and start moving backwards through time. So they get about halfway through the movie and then move backwards through the first half of the movie again. Right, and that uh, one makes total sense for for the second half. Uh, and in this one, it's when they when they start the heist. Like the first half of the movie is like within ten minutes of a two and a half hour movie, they get the job from Saito to perform Inception on someone. So mm-hmm. that first half of the movie is all them just preparing and figuring out how to do it and just setting up the heist. And then almost the entire second half of the movie is them getting the opportunity to do it and then enacting it and the huge climax at the end. Um, that's like over an hour of the movie. It's almost exactly half of the movie. So the fact that it has like that delineated midpoint, especially in a Christopher Nolan movie where it's like from here on out, the midpoint is my sci-fi conceit that just, I get to just have fun with the reason I started making the movie in the first place. Um, yeah, for sure. Uh, just kind of, I, I'll have to look at more of his movies to see if he does that more often. I <laughs> did want to mention that I like that um, when they go to Mombasa to meet uh, the the chemist. Um, oh yeah. But but he's running like an underground spot for people to just come and and dream to their heart's content. 
and they've all gotten basically addicted to it and it looks like an opium den. Yeah, just, it definitely does. I, I think this was the first time I watched it when I was like, oh, it's an opium den, but for people dreaming. Yeah, I think I think I've made all of my points that aren't lessons. All right. Um, <laughs> yeah, let's take a little break and we'll be right back with some lessons. All right, let's take that break. You say right-handed headphones? And since I said back to the sauna, I think that means we're back to the show. Yeah, everyone likes to picture us hot and sweaty. Is there any other way to picture us? Um, Well, first, uh, just apologies to anyone who had a hard time following our discussion in the first half of Inception, where we just kind of jumped around from point to point and it kind of made no sense. It's almost like you were watching the movie. Welcome to our discussion of Christopher Nolan movies. If you'd like yeah. to hear more, please go listen to Tenet. <laughs> I, that one had the same exact problem. <laughs> I know. It's just because it's almost impossible to talk about it in a specifically linear way. If we watched, well, we can't do it with Memento, but if we watched like Dunkirk or The Prestige or something, those are a little more linear. Or a Batman movie. True, Batman is linear. But well, like so, just just to start it off, I'll I'll reiterate what I said previously, which is, does it matter if any of this is real? Like, if you're happy with the person you're with, or if you're enjoying life, does it matter if it's technically real? Well, I, I think you made the same point last week when we talked about the Truman Show. When you said, yeah, you know, um, you just have to whatever your reality is, you just have to make the most of it. Um, I mean, if you know for sure that it's not reality, that's one thing. You know, especially for Dom. So, basically, if Dom is stuck in a dream at the end of this movie, there's going to be no way for him to get out and survive by that point. So, he might as well just stay there and live some sort of life with his kids or his memory of his kids for as long as he can. Uh, So, yeah, I think you're right. Especially with your point last week. Like, just... Whatever you perceive your reality to be, make it a good one. Yeah, for sure. And if you're building your own dreams, then you can definitely do that. Yeah, although, again, if you're if you're building your own dreams and are aware that it's false, then it's going to feel false. So. Right, which is what they ended up doing in Limbo. They, they, you know, they enjoyed going crazy with the world building for a while, yeah. and then they built stuff from memory, and then it all like kind of started to fall apart for him. Yeah, and, you know, it, it was like being in a sandbox, but, you know, you can't just live in a sandbox. Yeah. The tide will come in eventually. I know that's not the same metaphor as living in a sandbox, but I'm thinking of, like, building sandcastles, and eventually the tide's going to come in, much like uh, when he woke, woke up in the in the sand in the beginning. I want to meet the highly intelligent businessman who built a sandbox on a beach. <laughs> Uh, so the movie starts off with hit with uh, uh, Cobb saying that an idea is like a virus, resilient and highly contagious. It's resilient, highly contagious, and like and that plays through it as well. Uh, plays through the movie. Obviously, that's the whole point of putting planting the seed of the idea. The like news agencies and marketing companies and like they they've been doing that for a long time now. Like they they know how to do this stuff. They will make you think you want something. Or they'll make you think you believe something, and they'll or they'll plant small ideas, 
or make like take make hot takes on things that have nothing to do with a certain thing but attribute it to something else so like you kind of start bending your focus believing that everything is happening because of this one thing that they want you to believe until you're like leaned toward their side whether that's politics or uh, a corporation that wants you to buy their product thinking you need it for everything apple um <laughs> you know i mean that, that's just the that's just because it's what i'm looking at right now it's every corporation they want you to think you need their product over everybody else's well i'm sorry but to to be fair to apple a good way of making you of making your customers believe that they need your product to do everything is making a product that they need to do everything <laughs> and and being powerful enough that that you integrate with so many other companies and daily interactions that it's just easier to own your product than to own yeah. a different product. And to their credit, they make a product that does just about everything. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean there's that. Fa Facebook is the same way. They just, they've integrated with so much of internet activity that it's easier to have uh, an account on one of Facebook services, whether it's Facebook, Instagram, or whatever. Like, if yeah. you don't have a Facebook-esque uh, account or a Google account, it's hard to do a lot of things on the internet. Yeah, and I mean, Facebook took that right to the emotional level where it's like, don't you want to stay in touch with your friends and your family? Like, how else are you going to do it? Everybody else has one. And like, yeah. they tapped into that and they continue to tap into that feeling of you're missing out if you're not a part of this. Yeah. I don't know if you remember when uh, Anthony from, from Philly, from the bar, uh, for a while, he gave up Facebook, and I remember talking to him a little bit later, and he said he had to start using it again just because he was completely out of the loop of what his family was doing. Sometimes that's a good thing, but um, yeah, and in general it is. And uh, so, and this is just a quick aside since we're on this conversation. Um, one of the things I've been doing recently has been going for a run or going for a hike without my phone, mm -hmm. and and it's just the. It, the first instinct is to think like, well, if I don't, if I don't have it, I will like be tapping my pocket and wonder where it is. But I haven't really had that feeling. I've, I've just been able to like go out and enjoy nature and, you know, and it helps that I'm in a really beautiful place right now and I'm able to enjoy this. Um, there, there were a couple of times where I was like, oh, right. I have to remember to message this person. And I couldn't make a note if I had an idea, um, because I don't carry a, uh, a writing instrument and a notebook around with me, but I think I'm going to start carrying the small notebook in place of the, uh, the phone when I want to go on a, on a walk, but it's just nice to not be, not feel that pull of distraction. Like I need to be looking at my phone while I'm, while I'm walking under this beautiful trail, you know? Um, yeah. and that just triggered that, that thought since I've just been like trying to mindfully do that this, this past week. Yeah. Well, another idea that they've incepted upon us is, you know, you leave the apartment without your phone and then you're like, well, what if something happens? What if, yeah. what if, what if I get hurt? What if I need to call someone? What if, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's true. And I mean, and I feel like that is, there's that, that definitely has been a big part of like why people feel like they need to st stay in touch and like, they're like, well, I mean, what if something happened 15 years ago? I don't know. You wouldn't be able to reach me 20 years ago, whatever it is. Like, you wouldn't have been able to reach me then. You wouldn't be able to know where I am. I couldn't check in with you every time. I could be away for two days backpacking. I wouldn't be able to message you while I was doing that. Right. And 
also it makes me makes you feel like you need to always be available to people. Like if somebody texts you, it makes you feel like, well, if I don't text them back, then I'm not, you know, they're going to get mad that I didn't write, write back to them. Or if I don't answer this phone call, they're going to be like, well, where were you? Why didn't you answer? <laughs> or even, even to take it beyond friendship, if your employer can get in touch with you at any time, that's not a good thing. Okay. I don't, <laughs> th- okay. I don't have this problem of, Worrying about what people are going to think if I don't message them back right away or oh, I know. answer the phone. I've met you. <laughs> or, or anything <laughs> like that. Um, I know. That's, that's just, it's, I use, I'm on my phone a lot, but for some reason that is one area where I'm just like, I'll get to it when I get to it. <laughs> Shrug emoji. <laughs> Shrug emoji. But yes, that's, uh, I mean. I leave I... people on red every day. <laughs> uh, can that be our first t-shirt uh, <laughs> i leave people on red every day i think that one would actually sell pretty well <laughs> but um but yeah I, I i have a little more of the anxiety about like stuff like that um i'm sure that stems deeper from other things like feeling like i'm gonna lose people or something if i don't respond to them right away um but we don't have to delve into the whole psychology of don right now we can <laughs> we can get back to some lessons if you have anything yeah uh i do so uh a lot of the movie is centered around the idea of uh taking a leap of faith uh, yep. which i think we've talked about in different ways in other movies like you know goodwill hunting making the big scary decision uh it's all sort of connected it's all the same thing um Although they do make the point in this movie to say, you know, are you going to take a leap of faith? Or are you going to end up uh, an old man alone, you know, just just wondering? Just uh, living in regret. Yeah. Uh, and they say that at least twice. And then uh, Maul makes another reference or two to making a leap of faith. And that's just more trusting each other. But, you know, it, again, it's... I actually, I don't know if I can put it any better than I wish I wrote down the exact phrasing that they use at the, at the beginning and the end of the movie. Of you know. yeah, we we got it pretty close. The just the last part was like uh, you're gonna wind yeah, up an li- old man living alone and living in regret. Yeah, um, you gotta sometimes just make that scary decision, uh, though not always. Like, and and I think yeah. they kind of make that point too, which is why Dom was like, I know jumping from this window is a bad decision. I'm not going to do it. Um, yeah. You just, yeah, you get, you get to watch two separate people making that choice, the yeah. opposite choices right across from each other. And both of them believing that the choice they're making is the right one. Yeah. And because of the nature of the movie, you don't actually, you never get to truly know which, which one is actually more correct. Right. Uh, because you don't know if the entire movie actually takes place within a dream and that Maul has woken up in another layer and Dom has it uh, yeah. just because just because he incepted that idea into her doesn't mean that she wasn't still right. And you know what? At the end of the day, if if she died after having 50 years with her husband and like sometimes, you know, she didn't get to watch her kids grow up. But, you know, she had what you would most people would consider a full life probably, you know, and like in, in her mind, which is really where everything happens anyway. So mm-hmm. even if she did die in that moment, then maybe she died happy. So No, I think she absolutely died happy like 
she had basically the life she had wanted and then she died believing that she was doing making the correct choice so she obviously died happy um but and actually dom makes that point late in the movie that you know because he at this point has already been living a life of regret because of what happened to ma and part of the whole end of the movie is him learning how to come to terms with that uh regret um I think I wrote down, your guilt can destroy you. Sometimes you have to learn to forgive yourself. Uh, yeah. Of course, that's situational. There are some things you probably shouldn't forgive yourself for if you do some truly heinous things. But uh, for the most part, I think you can learn to forgive yourself. But yeah. part of his forgiving himself was realizing he had his time with Maul. And mm-hmm. uh, he had that 50 years, and that was over, and he had to move on from it. Um, yeah. Hundred percent on that one. Yeah, she like he definitely wants. He definitely wanted more, to the point mm-hmm. where obviously he wants to watch his kids grow up and continue to live with the person he loves. But you know, and and this uh, film does a good job of going into like the feeling of like time slows down when you're with the person that you want to be with. You know, mm-hmm. you can spend that time. Um, but I mean, I also think the opposite feels true sometimes like it, it, the, the, the time you have with someone feels fleeting at the end, even though that time you might've spent together felt long and great Yeah. when it ends, it feels like you just want more time and it's yeah. really hard to reconcile those two things. Yeah. I, that's a good point. Cause they spend 50 years together and then they wake up and it's just the next day and they're still, you know, 30. Yeah, and that's. But I mean, that's. And I mean, that's got to be hard going from being old age back into younger bodies again with the the old soul or the old mind. But like, the fact that he w- still wants to sp- spend his life with her, like that's like, it really does like embody like true love between the two of them. Yeah, I do like that little speech he gives about how you know it. He knows she's just a dream, and it's not the real her, and he could. As as well as he knows Maul, he can never dream her the way that she actually was because there's too much nuance to a person. Right, yeah, actually, I, I love that line where he says, like, you are just, like, my mem- like a memory or an idea of my wife. You could never live up to the real thing. Yeah. That was a really sweet thing to say. And uh, and uh, since you already said it, but I, I did write I, I did write down that it's easy, it's really easy to carry around guilt forever. Mm-hmm. Like, you might be able to let go of the person you loved in a certain in in a in one capacity or another but you may carry around that guilt that something you did caused them to take their own life you know like he believes that it was his fault for putting this idea in her mind literally and figuratively that he caused her to kill herself and like he has he he regrets causing his wife's death for her death but he also regrets knowing that he did that to himself i think yeah probably i mean i would imagine but you you know why he regrets all this because an idea is resilient and contagious like a virus <laughs> <laughs> uh, we talk about viruses too much on this podcast <laughs> i mean <laughs> but yeah i mean it all connects in, in, into that i think um he, he incepted himself <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he did. Um, but, uh, and, and going along with those last ideas, the last thing I wrote down was that sometimes you just want to go home and like, and for him, home is his kids, but like for the longest time, home was his kids and his wife. And he wanted to go back 
to like their life together as as a, a you know a four person family in the but real then, world. Like, yeah, and like and then and I mean and and that ties right into the does it matter as well because like he gets home to his children and he finally sees their faces and he just does not care anymore if that top is spinning or not. He's happy right. to be home and like his mind needs to rest. He just wants to be happy again. Yeah, then he gets to hang out with Michael Caine. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And then he becomes Batman. Or wait, no. Sorry, uh, Joe Scorn Levitt becomes uh, yeah. Arthur Robin. becomes Robin. <laughs> sort of, sort of. Um, I would, I would, yeah. I, I will say, I would watch uh, an Arthur movie, an Arthur Inception type movie, <laughs> just with that, like flesh out that character, throw the die, see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, totally. Because there's so little you learn about Arthur, you could have anything you want happen basically oh yeah it could it, it's a it's a blank slate it could be a this is 40 to knocked up yeah like it could just um, be a completely different film <laughs> one of the other lessons i wrote down to go into kind of something we've already mentioned is in that opium den-esque room in mombasa uh i still can't remember that character's name and i feel terrible about it uh but he says uh when Dom is basically saying these guys are, these people are just here to, to dream. Like it's all just a mm -hmm. dream. And now the response is the dream is their reality. Who are you to say otherwise? Um, but in this instance, it's so clearly unhealthy. Like yeah. it's, it's an addiction they have. They have an actual life and they're choosing to ignore that to go into the dream. Uh, which is clearly something that Dom was specifically trying to avoid in his past. And he's almost trying to avoid dreams because he knows Maul is there. So, it is, but just seeing like how something so wonderful like that can become so unhealthy. Uh, again, I, I think you mentioned before how we keep saying we need to keep ourselves in check. Um, yeah. Uh, understanding understanding how unhealthy a positive thing can become, I think is, is very important, especially in this instance when it's a fictive reality and yeah. it should only be a temporary escape that is fun, but then you got to go home. Yeah. Like I mean, said, in this case, sometimes you want to go home. Sometimes you have to go home. Yeah, that's true. That's, that's a good way to say it. Um, <laughs> and these people, these people are just looking for an escape like anybody else, whether it's drugs or alcohol or gambling or TV or movies, or whatever, or what whatever we have that will, like, distract us from whatever thing we're trying to avoid. Everybody's looking for an escape in one way or another. Uh, and in this case, they're having these dreams, which are, allows them a different reality. You know, you know, you take drugs or alcohol, that's going to shift your reality a little bit, and not quite to this extent, but then you have things like we talked about with Facebook, where, and then the corporations get involved and then they start funneling things into this thing that was just your friends and family. And then people get to repost things. And then you start believing that all this stuff is real. And this is your only reality. And you get to delete people who you don't agree with. And then you just see this one dreamscape of reality <laughs> on, your, on your screen when you're looking at Facebook. And that's your new reality. Who are you to tell these people that that's not reality or 
whatever was it Sarah Palin whoever somebody coined the term of like alternative reality alternate reality it wasn't alternate reality it was like alternative facts oh Jesus Christ um <laughs> yes but I mean that is this is the reality we live in right now <laughs> like people are like I know my truth you have your truth like that's not how it works man <laughs> I know I, I get what you, I get where you're coming from but that's not how, how this all yeah. works I don't, was at don't the top call it of your the truth you can live how you choose to live. Don't call it your truth. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, living your truth has become too much of a mantra, I think. Um, but yeah. I was at the top of a mountain today and I heard this guy, we were talking about planets for some reason, and I said something about Pluto. That's messed up, right? And yeah. <laughs> um, um, apparently the observatory here in Flagstaff is where they, is the observatory where they discovered Pluto, uh, as a planet, like as a definitive planet. And we were talking about it being an exoplanet and all this other stuff. And he started just going off about things like, how do they even know, like what kind of gases are there? Like, how do they know it's actually this many light years away or whatever? And I was like, I are you actually asking me? I was like, I mean, I, I have an, I have a bit of an idea, but I'm not a scientist and you're clearly not a scientist. So maybe we just kind of leave, you know, except that the astronomers <laughs> kind of know what they're doing and know they have the tools and the knowledge to measure this stuff. Mm -hmm. But it's just, it was just funny hearing that today. And I was like, all right, well, I'm just going to, I'm just going to carry on down the trail here because <laughs> I don't really have time for this conversation right now, <laughs> nor an inkling, nor an, uh, an interest in having it. For the gases, but, um, I think it's the way that they can observe light passing through it, but I'm not exactly sure. Yeah, and I and I, that's what I was like. I, and, I, and I know like there temperatures is, and things there like that. Are ways, and also we have probes that have gone that far at this point. Yeah, um, but you know, anyway, astrophysics for people in a hurry by Neil deGrasse Tyson is a, a good little read. I didn't retain most of it, but it's still interesting. Yeah, and since it's right along this topic um i uh, i saw a tweet from neil De neil degrasse tyson today or yesterday that said i guess i'm in the minority when i uh think that i don't have to just stop talking to someone completely because i vehemently disagree with some of the things that they believe or say <laughs> and i was mm -hmm. like yeah you're better than you're better than many of us i will say that in that regard but um it, it, it is hard to make to draw those lines sometimes between like believing that someone is doing harm <laughs> based on the, what they believe and rectifying that with like wanting to still feeling like you can still have a true relationship with that kind of per with that person without it always being about that or being an argument or having some kind of resentment. Yeah. You definitely have to triage that aspect of your life and just, Kind of be like, all right, this person not doing too much harm. I still genuinely yeah. like their company. Uh, mm -hmm. We can just kind of avoid it, or if we do talk about it, we might be able to talk about it humanely to each other. And then, like, yeah. <laughs> whatever whatever the middle would be, and then the other, and you have like this person is just an asshole. Yeah, there's and no you, way I to like have a conversation you... without fighting. <laughs> I like that you use the word humanely because I feel like that if you were really to like think about it. You, that might that probably wouldn't have been the word you would have chosen, but it's no, like the it perfect word been to like use logically or something. <laughs> no, but that's the perfect word to use <laughs> humanely. <laughs> um, okay, well we've gone well down the down the dream hole here, so we should yeah. probably uh, give ourselves a kick and come back up for air. Yeah. Um, did uh, you have uh, anything else on I, your I, list? Yeah, I did. Just want to mention that 
ending on a positive note, when they're trying to figure out how to give uh, Fisher an idea and have it stick, and mm. they're coming up with ideas that will, you know, make him angry or dislike his father or whatever, and Dom says, no, I believe positive emotion trumps negative emotion every time. Reconciliation, catharsis. Um, Definitely. And that's just, I mean, all, all of nostalgia, all, like, they're you certainly have a lot of memories that you hold on to because they're negative, but I think the ones you cherish most are the ones that are almost completely positive or the ones that your brain tell you now are completely positive. And I'm also Definitely. just a sucker for positive emotion. I, I, I'm glad you said that too, because like that, line did really stick out to me but i think i was so in the scene that i just thought i didn't stop and write it down mm-hmm. but I, I i i think that is that is a great great little little thing that they said there that um made me think for a moment um and i, th- I think it's true we do tend to look at the past with rose-colored glasses a lot of the time mm-hmm. um, we do try to paint a more positive picture, whether that's of ourselves or of our, of our previous relationships or just whatever, or yeah, the times it, we had, you know. And even just advertising is all about the the positive ways this product can influence your life. It'll make you yeah. happier. It, it's useful in these ways. Like, I mean, when you when they photograph uh, analog watches, the it's the the uh, <laughs> the hands are always on the ten and the two, which was apparently meant to uh, rep, uh, replicate a smile in people's minds. See, so this is great. I'm glad we're talking about this during Inception. <clears throat> because years ago, I read that, and then I said it to you. Mm-hmm. So I'm now that you're telling me about it as something <laughs> you know. <laughs> I think That's, I've learned about that in multiple places. but <laughs> it's Because it's also one of those things where you read about, and then you see watches and clocks uh photograph like that a bunch and then i'm still like but i'm just because i keep seeing these pictures i'm still wondering is the fact i read somewhere but i I can't remember where i read it is it still true right is it like a like a self-fulfilling prophecy kind of thing (laughs) is it it making you believe it because you read it yeah is it like technically true that they it's often that time on clocks and then someone wrote that because they were like, "Oh, this reminds me of a smiley face." Maybe I feel like I I feel like or, I learned about it in my like marketing class, uh, like my photo marketing class, and um, but I, I didn't rem- I honestly didn't remember that you had told me about it. But I I do always notice it now. Like every time I see an ad for a watch or something, I'm like, oh, "Yep, ten and two. Yeah. That that's um, that was one of my favorite fun facts for a while, and that's why, for a while, I referred to either ten o five or ten ten two. Yeah, ten ten or two fifty. Two fifty, yeah. As happy hour. <laughs> I don't remember that either, but I'm I'm glad that this has come back up again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, so just looking for an excuse to drink earlier in the day (laughs) (laughs) or later in the night. Positive emotion trumps negative emotion every time. And that's why I think it's important to end on a happy note. Yes. Just end on a happy note. To trick people into thinking they had a happy time listening to us. Yeah. Well, you know, 
Now, see, that is Chuck's positivity shining through. He believes that there are people still listening right now. <laughs> Hi, Mom. If I don't wake up, then it's bound to be true. <laughs> well, I, I know you have the top over on the on the stand over there, so you can spin it before you go to bed. I do. I, I have, uh, in the other room, I have a, a replica of Dom's uh, top that I spin every once in a while. Well, Just to, uh, just to make sure. Considering I know you have to work early, uh, I, I know you probably wish you were dreaming right now already. Uh, yes. So we'll, we'll probably uh, wrap it up here. So thanks, everybody, for, for making it this far, if you have. And uh, if you'd like to get in touch with us, you can reach out at imitatingart1 at gmail.com. And on social media, we're imitatingartpod on uh, Instagram and Twitter. If you'd like to get me individually, you can find me uh, at Don't Worry I'm Finite on Instagram. Uh, Don is Finite on Twitter and YouTube.com slash Don't Worry I'm Finite. Yeah, if you want to reach me individually, it's Big Evan Moose, spelled like it sounds, pretty much everywhere. Uh, I'd be interested to find if there's another, like on any of the other services that aren't major services. I wonder if there's like a big F, another Big Evan Moose somewhere. I wonder. <laughs> That's for another episode. Yeah. Uh, well, it's been actual. Yeah, it's been real. See you next Tuesday. Don and Chuck will return in Imitating Art with Don and Chuck.